Welcome to Canthropod, the Cambridge Anthropology Podcast. This is episode 8, Your Local, by Farhan Samanani. Demolished all of a sudden local community uh, and indeed local authority upset. When I came to the site, I actually thought it was uh, bombed. The site looked like it was <laughs> the way it looked. The Carlton Tavern in Maida Vale was bulldozed last month while it was being considered for listed status. A Kilburn pub which survived the blitz, but not its new owners. Now the developers were denied planning permission, but knocked it down anyway while the staff were out. The building was just about to be listed, uh, which is why it's suspected they just got on with the job as fast as they could. Only remaining building in a street have survived the blitz. They raised the pub to the ground. Without warning, the bulldozers moved in. Shocked locals and residents. No permission to demolish. It was illegally knocked down by developers who want to create luxury flats. On April 8th, 2015, in northwest London, the Carlton Tavern was demolished without warning. Around a year before, it had been sold to new owners who quickly applied for permission to pull down the pub and replace it with a block of luxury flats with a new pub in the basement. They were denied permission on the basis that the proposed flats didn't serve the housing needs of the area and that the replacement pub seemed to have been cynically designed to fail and to be quickly replaced with housing. Meanwhile, fearing that they might lose their pub, local residents applied to Historic England to get the building listed as an important historical building, which would place stringent safeguards to tearing it down. But, somehow, the developers seemed to have been informed that a decision was just about to come through, and just days before arranged to have the pub knocked down. The story of the Carlton created a storm in the national press. Wealthy developers, from overseas no less, had torn down a historic working-class institution in order to build a block of flats worth millions. The story tapped into many people's frustration around what felt like endlessly rising prices and the steady erosion of public amenities in London. London, for them, was fast becoming a city of the rich. A financial playground full of empty investment properties and unaffordable upscale restaurants, with anyone who wasn't wealthy finding it harder and harder to take part in city life, or to live there at all. Defending their actions, a representative of the developers argued that pubs were becoming irrelevant. He argued that were it not for the suddenness of the action, the community would have had little regard towards the Carlton. Though they are often thought of as a British institution, pubs are vanishing in Britain at an alarming rate, with over 27 pubs closing every week according to 2016 figures from the Campaign for Real Ale. And it's clear that pubs are not for everyone. Even for those who do drink, staying in with friends has become a more prominent trend, whilst Londoners seem to be spending more of their money elsewhere, at pop-up restaurants and themed club nights. So, are the developers right? Have pubs become irrelevant? Shortly following the demolition of the Carlton, I got a chance to sit down with a group of close friends who used to frequent it, as well as the pub's former landlady, to try to find out just what their local pub meant to them. Patsy, the landlady, shares her version of events, and her friends help her out in telling the story. The work the Monday, um, Adam come down, he sort of said about, um, they were coming in, they're choosing to do the infantry. I said, shall I open? He said, no, give us a call in the morning, but then I was supposed to open them up the Wednesday. And I called him, he said, no, because the time they were coming to do it, there was no point opening it, it was about six or something. He said, call, no problem. I thanked them for the day off. Mm. <laughs> and the Wednesday I get a call from Mary, because my son's car, car was parked outside, because they had the diggers there to move it. And I just thought they were doing the back garden, because I thought yeah. they're not allowed to touch the building. 
And I said to her, I said, no, they're doing it in the garden. Yeah. I had to get my son to go and move his car then, call him in and get him to move. So you gave her a call? Because I lived beside it and I could hear the noise outside and there was two diggers outside. So my son-in-law's car was parked there and her son's car was parked there. So because the two diggers were beside the cars, I thought, well, that doesn't look very safe for the cars. But we didn't think they were doing anything. So my other son-in-law ran down, spoke to the builders and they said, uh, the people with the diggers and said, yeah, you need to move the cars. So I rang Patsy numerous times. She thought I was ringing her at seven o'clock in the morning for a gossip. <laughs> and I said, you need to get Nathan over quickly and move his car. There's diggers there. And then a few hours later, my daughter rang because she was looking over the balcony and she said they were digging the back garden. And next thing she went, Mommy, 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 I'll never forget it. She was crying. She goes, Mommy, they're knocking it down. I goes, you're joking me. She goes, Mommy, they are. So I rang Patsy. And I still... And Patsy was like, no, no, no. They can't. You rang me, Patsy, yeah. And then Patsy rang you and I rang Linda. And yeah, they were knocking it. And also the the, the three brothers who I've led to believe are the ones who own the company that that had bought the carton out were quite rude to you, wasn't it? Me, yeah. They said, well, when you're in a zoo, you'll behave like you're in a zoo. And I said, what do you mean by that? Especially after me going over so nicely, yeah. leaving my cigarette and everything. <laughs> I didn't even swear. <laughs> and yeah, he said, when you live in a zoo, you behave like you're in a zoo. Linda was standing beside me and I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, I don't mean it badly, I don't mean it badly. Yeah. I thought, well, there's not exactly a good way of taking it. He said he, he, said, he didn't say, he said he wasn't one of the owners or in any way connected. He told me he was a friend of the builders, not... Because even the way they done it, he didn't it, there admit was until no the end of the day. Yeah. When I spoke to him in Hebrew, so what happened? So, so sorry. As the day progressed, obviously the building came down. I never made it there until quite late, wasn't I? It was, it was really late. By then, work had stopped, and um, it must have been about seven in the evening. And stood there completely, you know. Oh my God, what's this? Like a war zone. And Trisha said to me, these are the guys. And as I looked across, I realized they're obviously dressed in, uh, with a kippah. So I knew they were Jewish. Uh, I walked over and I said, this is not a very nice present for a Passover. As the guy answered me, I recognized his accent being an Israeli. So I speak Hebrew. I spoke to him in Hebrew and I said, this is an absolute disgrace in Hebrew. How could you pay back to a country that welcomed you? in this way. I mean, how, how can you allow this to happen? And this is Easter, everybody's kids are around, you've got old people's home there, you've got dust everywhere. I mean, what the hell is going on? And he said, well, I'd, I've done nothing wrong. He said, I knew they were going to go and get um, a listed building. And if they were only for the sake of 24 hours, I know I've got a window, so I'm going to bring it down. And if it's going to cost me, what, five grand? For what did he say? Five, he said the health and safety aspect. will cost me about five grand. Five pound tops. What's the that? Fine. He said, "What's that?" I probably lo- look to make about six million. <laughs> and he said that. To and you. he did. He said that to me. And then he also said to me, "You will understand because you know, being we're Israelis, and I, I very much assured him that apart from having the same passport or understanding the same language, I was very much not like him. That we had nothing else in common." Like the developers, Polly was born in Israel. She admits that she was lucky to marry someone whose family had a long history in the area, but she says that coming to London has allowed her to expand her horizons and to feel a greater sense of connection and community, rather than making her feel isolated and alone. The whole world, she tells me, comes together in London. 
Part of Polly's problem with wealthy overseas developers, then, isn't just that they're pushing out those who have less, but it's that their wealth allows them to live in isolation, to create separate bubbles where they don't have to interact with others. And when you live apart from others, it becomes hard to value their lives and understand what matters to them. I'd imagine this is the sort of people who don't go to a pub, okay? This is not a social scene, right? So they won't go into a pub. Uh, Therefore, why you would think it's a zoo, I don't know, because you you, have no idea. It's more of an ignorant ignorant, uh, way of saying something because it shows you how detached from London and detached from the culture of where they're actually living and they're living in their own little hub and community and not mixing. So to think, because I speak Hebrew, we are the same. No, we're not the same. Polly's view is not that newcomers to the UK ought to assimilate and become like the British, but that they ought to mix with one another. Her experience has been that practices of mixing allow people to live together without conflict. In later conversations, she makes it clear that she's aware that this is not always easy, that some people will face much more significant barriers and disadvantages to taking part in public life. But that's partly the point of mixing. It also ought to make the settled community aware of the needs and difficulties of newer arrivals, and to prompt them to respond. But for any of this to happen, for people to become aware of each other's lives, experiences, and needs, they need spaces they can actually share. Very literally, then, the Carlton was seen by its patrons as a place of common ground that they could share with others. A community cannot exist on just flats. A community cannot exist on just flats because you go to work, well, if there's only flats, you're not going to go to work. But you know, if you're just in your flat, you're never going to meet anyone. That's right. Whether it be a community centre or a a restaurant or a coffee shop or, you know, you all go to football together. It's all about needing and belonging, isn't it? Where you, as human beings, we gravitate to each other which in whichever way, shape or form, whether it be religion or football or whatever the case may be. I remember being you know, younger, they Good Neighbours Day, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Well, this is that. another thing. A lot of people don't even know their neighbours now, yeah. you know, or they're not interested mm. in the neighbours and that community feel uh, that's kind of uh, cool. diminishing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you look at uh, Debden, it used to be a family orientated. I mean, my parents got in there because they knew people that already lived in there it was that easy to get a place you know because you knew someone they'd vouch for you and Mm. and and this is what for us fighting to keep that it's about keeping that community together it's very it's very easy to go home close the door i've got a good job i've got my kids are fine i'll close the door you know, everything is fine in my little hunky-dory world. Well, it's that kind but of... But it's not like that. I'm all I right, want to Jack make sure, attitude, isn't it? Yeah, I want to make sure that... So that Thatcherite days, I want to make sure that my neighbour is all right. I want to make sure that my friends and colleagues are all right. Yeah. You know, it's that everybody around... Yeah, and the kid who grew up and, and going to trouble is now yeah. going to first job and, and you getting involved in all that as part of the community. So... I think that is is missing if we don't look after and treasure it, which lucky for us, we do, and we are adamant to keep that. Shared space brings people together because it weaves them into each other's everyday lives. If the place I always go is the pub, and the place you always go is the pub, then, even if we never become good friends, we become a part of each other's daily experiences, and a part of our taken-for-granted assumptions about our own world that we live in. Which means that, even at a distance, We pay more attention to each other and respond to each other's presence in little ways that can end up mattering quite a lot. And it wasn't just the people who used the pub. My neighbours from Saudi Arabia 
she's a Muslim lady and she was absolutely disgusted yeah. and she yeah. still wants to come on the rally and everything yeah. Well, yeah. because she said yeah. even though she never used the pub it was just a shocking way they went about it. It should it. have been left there yeah. for the people who did want to use it because she said, I could have gone in and had a cup of coffee in it. Mm, yeah. She didn't drink alcohol. So it's not just the people who use the pub, the, yeah. the English or Irish people. It is the community. That's because right. it, 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 say it wasn't. It was just everybody. When they first come in, it could just be someone passing by. They come in and they come yeah. back again and again. And, you know, they come in and go, oh, hi, Pat, or... I mean, yeah, it was a venue of, of many things. It wasn't it was selling alcohol, but then, like we said, you had the back rooms. So there was many parties going on there. There was family gatherings. There were people that were just you know, at, on an ad hoc, funerals. Yeah. So it was like, like you said earlier, yeah. it was like a community centre yeah. with a pub t- uh, sort of attached. And uh, Yeah, and also... Um, Jim, who's captain of the dance team, uh, Patsy's insignificant other. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to him Monday, and one of the one of the uh, elderly women who lives in uh, in the estate next door to the Colton, she never she hadn't drank in there for years, but she said walking up the alleyway, she felt safe because she knew that when she got to yeah. the top, there was always someone in the pub. And there was always someone, you know, she, it made her feel safe. You like, knew you'd meet someone for a chat. It wasn't the drink. It was, uh, in fact, if you wanted to drink, it's cheaper probably to drink at home. It was the fact that you knew you would meet somebody in there. You could have a chat, yeah. cup of coffee, know. chat to the bar, staff, the anything. Cup of tea, and if the you, of The other thing yeah. is, that those loners or somebody who <laughs> had nobody often. would have been there. And if you wanted to see someone that you may not felt very comfortable going to their house or didn't know them well enough to go to their house, you knew you would find them there. You knew that, you know, if, if it didn't look well or someone looked well, you know, you, you kept an eye on neighbours that yeah. way. I think that was the other thing, because there's two or three people that maybe would have been really, really quiet, but they were always in a pub yeah. and they were always all yeah. Some of the elderly neighbours would come yeah. and see in the summer. Oh, God, see them. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, yeah, yeah. and unique, I mean, this is amazing because this has happened to us all last year. A dear friend of all of us, only in his early 50s, he didn't come. And we were all worried. He's diabetic, he didn't come. Everyone was worried. And he was found dead in his house. You know, but the whole community was, was up. Yeah, we were, we yeah. all knew something must be wrong because that's not his nature. He would be out now. There was football, there was this, there was, you know, there's no way. And the whole afternoon, wasn't it? The whole community was up. When places or resources become seen as shared, as available to all, People don't just become invested in them, but in the other people who share them. This is unlikely to ever be perfect. Not everyone is going to feel welcome everywhere. And the thing that makes this tricky is that this feeling of welcome often has to come before you've really gotten to know a place or the people in it. This means that it often depends on subtle details, on the vibe of a place, or what anthropologists might call affect, which gives you a sense of whether you can enter, whether you can take part and get to know others, or whether you'll come up empty-handed. As humans, we can be very quick to make such judgments, of where we fit in and how. And these judgments will shape how we behave as well as how others respond to us. Thus, the group from the Carlton didn't just lose a pub, but specifically a community feel. They talk about their experiences visiting other pubs in the area and the difficulty that they've had in finding a place that feels equally welcoming to them. But that's the thing, bistro pubs, <coughs> that's what all the pubs around here Well, this is what's happening, yeah. yeah, so like, you don't no get that original yeah, feel anymore. They're not local pubs or, like, you know, community yeah. pubs. It's it's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, any yeah. pub, even if they hadn't knocked it down, say they had refurbished it or whatever, it would have then ended up with these typical sort of bistro-type things that you see mm. everywhere now. 
for me they're soulless and they mean nothing and people just pass and they're That's in and right. out yeah. and it's kind of yeah. like an empty it's vessel London really. identity. they don't have a community they don't exactly. have a community no. every, every day it's different people going in there yeah. so yeah. You, you and if you walk in it's like yeah. who's that you know, yeah. and the bar, the bar staff groups, don't engage you because from one day to another it's yeah. different clientele going in there mm. and and it's more about the pretty girl behind the bar in her 20s yeah. rather than yeah. someone who knows you, someone who Hello, knows you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we had a pretty, pretty in our 40s, top, but we did have somebody who knew you, so yeah. if something wasn't right, if something, if, if something was up, they knew your family, they knew your, your sort of business, and you know, if you didn't have money maybe, or someone else, it some problems. Yeah, you knew all of that. Yeah. It wasn't. I think it wasn't intimidating. Was the, the good thing. I mean, all these guys here have grown up in this pub and have, have had family who grew up. I came from a very different background, but it was never intimidating to walk in. You mm. knew all the faces. You felt comfortable. You could dance on the table if you wanted to. <laughs> you could, you, you, felt you felt at home. You know. But I think the, the other thing is really important is. We've seen people cry and we've seen people laugh. Yeah. It, you know, it was full on um, and you sort of lived the occasion. So I, the Queen's is a great pub because it's local again. We're able to go there, but it doesn't have as, that as feel. It doesn't have <coughs> that welcoming. We are being looked at suspiciously or not yeah. welcome enough. So one of the yeah, fellows, okay. for example, with his wife, is one of the nicest people you can imagine. You know, maybe ask for the uh, wrong drink. There was a misunderstanding, and he's a middle-aged man, and the guy just slammed the drink. Yes, you ordered that, and the next thing he threw the drink away because it was a mixed. You know, so the barman, the way he spoke to somebody, we were like, oh my God, we're not. This is not the sort of pub that is suitable for our group. And I think the saddest thing is that now we're a bit like a a lost herd. Mm. You know, we're sort of verging towards which pub is everybody in, we're looking at where is everybody, we're gonna go and, and if someone is in, Patty keeps saying, I'll meet you in a Carlton, and yeah, she says that all the time, and then you say it because Patty said it, so it's, I think that's the real sad thing, that it's that greed, and it's knowing we can actually do this yeah. in this country. In the end, then, the Carlton was more than just a pub to those who went there. It was a place where they felt comfortable and felt at home. We often think of familiarity as the enemy of change, and sometimes we imagine that when people desire the familiar, they are also opposed to different ideas, different experiences, and different people. And sometimes this is true. But what the story of the Carlton shows is that sometimes having familiar spaces can become the basis for engaging with the new, for getting to know and caring for strangers. Spaces, like pubs, provide common ground in a diverse and ever-changing city where different people can show up and stake a claim, and by doing so, become known to others. In this regard, no public space is perfect. There will always be those who are less happy or less able to take part. But the idea that our cities need to provide a range of spaces where we can practice the art of coming together, that is critical. When the Carlton was demolished, its regular patrons didn't just lose a meeting place but they lost all the practices of shared awareness, connection, and care that they had cultivated in that place. On May 17, 2016, a little over a year after the Carlton was demolished, a public planning tribunal was held for the developers. In 2015, Westminster Council served the developers with an order to rebuild the pub exactly as it was, brick by brick. At the last moment, the developers appealed, and now their fate, 
and the fate of the Carlton rests in the hands of the planning tribunal, which is expected to announce its decision in the summer of 2016. In the intervening year, the group displaced from the Carlton have worked tirelessly, gathering signatures, mobilising the media and lobbying the council to try to ensure that they've got their pub back. And at the same time, they've put on events to support parents in community halls, had birthday parties and concerts in neighbouring pubs, and worked to rebuild the practices of connection and community that were also taken from them with the Carlton. And I'd say since April till now, the anger and the frustration of how it happened never left us. If CLTX Limited is unsuccessful in its appeal, it has just over a year to rebuild the Carlton Tavern brick by brick. Never have heard of that in London, have you? A building being knocked down and the little, lo the little local people <laughs> managing to get it rebuilt. One thing I'm really looking forward to is the first night. You know, because my God, I'm desperate for that drink now. <laughs>